Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. You have to make time. At least I believe that you have to make time. I take what others have called a clarity break and I schedule time to take that where I'm removing myself basically from everything. Todd Pottebaum is president of QRG, Quality Resource Group, a $35 million promotional products and print distributor located in the Minneapolis, Minnesota area with over 50 salespeople. QRG utilizes technology to cut complexities, streamline processes, and gain market share. Todd began his career with QRG as a sales consultant, earning numerous honors, including a 16-time winner of QRG's Award of Excellence, 13-time winner of QRG's Peak Performers Achievement, a recipient of the Rookie of the Year Award and the prestigious Vince Sturm Award in 2004. An expert in systems, process planning, and efficiencies, Todd will be a guest panelist on our Trends in E-Commerce panel at SKU Camp, October 1st through 3rd in Palm Springs. In this episode, we talk about proactive personal development, the myth of work-life balance, the importance of community, and what to do when life derails your plans. People often classify, you know, work life and you've got your home life and people talk about work-life balance. There is no work-life balance. It's just life. They bleed into each other insistently and it's at times they're just inextricably linked. And so as we go through these troubles, it's okay. I mean, we're we're all human. We're all, we all ride this roller coaster. It's important that we have support systems, that we have bosses, that we have coworkers, uh, even even our clients to some extent that uh, they kind of understand and are willing to kind of go through that journey with you. Today's episode is courtesy of CommonSkew, the effortless business management platform that empowers you to process more orders and grow your business. For more information or to start your free trial, visit commonskew.com. I'm Bobby Leehu, the Chief Content Officer at CommonSkew. Todd is a candidate for the PPAI board, and we'll discuss this with Todd in our conversation today. Also a candidate for the board is our friend Dan Fraley of Rumi Brand Suite. Dan has written an op-ed piece entitled, Who's Afraid of Walmart? And I'd like to read a select passage from Dan's post. Quote, Much ink has been spilled in the last week over Walmart dipping its toe in promo. But I'm more concerned about Rothy's ballet slippers, or at least direct-to-consumer retail brands like them. Casper, Me Undies, Knockarounds, Allbirds, Cotopaxi, Carbon 38, Bolin Branch, The Black Tux, the list is long and getting longer, soon to cover almost every major consumer category, end quote. Dan talks in this article about how the Walmart and Amazon conversation is leading us away from one of the most critical threats to the industry. He highlights the five strategies each of these direct consumer brands have that could bypass the traditional models in our industry and bring direct purchasing to the forefront. To quote again from Dan's article, Imagine competing against brands with great product that go way beyond adding a logo, customizing material color and even fit and design, plus features with a cost advantage to boot. And these companies have no interest in our traditional business model. Don't believe me? Tesla Motors checks every box on the list. Ask Ford and GM how they feel about Tesla. End quote. You can learn more about this topic and how we need to get ahead of direct consumer customized retail at Dan's website, danforppai.com. That's Dan, the number four, ppai.com. Don't forget, voting opens September 8th. And now on to our conversation with Todd Potterbaum of QRG, where I begin by asking Todd, what was it like coming into a second generation business? Yep, a second generation business. I guess I don't really know how far back to go. In some senses, I've been in this business my entire life, you know, whether right. it was stuffing envelopes 
laps on the couch as a kid while, you know, while my dad had a project to get out the door. While I was working <laughs> in high school, I did mowed the yard. I worked in the warehouse. I shredded checks. I stuffed boxes. I've been the courier service. I've organized catalogs and then went to school, went to college, got my degree, came back, worked for a Fortune 500 company. I really just wanted to make it on my own, Bobby. I wanted to to, to go out and earn what I earn based on my own merit. Never really yeah. even thought about being in the family business as a professional career. But as I got out in the workforce and, and kind of got through that first job and got my experience, I started looking to other areas of industry. And dad kept asking me, he says, you know, love for you to come work for me. I really had no interest in it, but he <laughs> persisted. And as I continued to look for jobs, I became a little disenfranchised and frustrated and uh, started thinking about it more. I said, so what happens if it doesn't work out? You know, what happens if, because right. he wanted me to come in in a sales capacity, you know, what right. happens if I fail? He goes, we'll fire you. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Actually, and that was great, Bobby. That was the greatest answer I could have heard because yeah. It's tough being the boss's kid, you know, because right. you don't you don't want to be perceived as somebody who's just given everything. But I think that that also worked to my advantage coming into the business because I didn't want to be the boss's kid. I wanted my actions to speak louder than, right. than my words. So I got in and I worked really, really hard. I didn't work smart. I was really not very smart in the business. I just I made tons and tons and tons of mistakes. But fortunately, at the time, I was able to work stupid hours, 12 yeah. hours, 15 hours a day. Not very productive, but I think you learn a lot from those mistakes. And at least I did learn a lot from those mistakes. Yeah. So over time, I got better, more efficient, really kind of earned my spot in the company. By the way, you're the, the kind of guy that doesn't like to talk about himself. So I'm going to extract some of this from you. And I know it's going to be a little uncomfortable. I've been around you enough now to know that. But when you came back into the organization, you came in as a salesperson, but then you got on a pretty strong, successful path. I mean, this wasn't just boss's son now finds some easy path to success. You worked hard and then you also worked your way up in the organization. Is that right? Well, that's true. So, you know, I started like everybody else on the quota sheet as a salesperson at the very bottom of the quota sheet. Numbers are published each month showing, you know, how well did you perform against your peers? And I made a commitment to myself that I was going to either be at the top of that quota sheet or at least in the top, you know, two, three people. Company wasn't very big at that time. I think that we maybe had 12 salespeople, you know, and I think anybody that's in this business knows that this does not happen overnight. It's usually yeah. two or three right. year process of really slugging it out to become successful, yeah. to, to make it happen. And it did, it took a couple of years, but I did, I was able to rise to the top of the quota sheet. And while I was doing that, I was also sitting very quietly on the management team management team wasn't very big either. Our structure was a lot different back then too. So it, was, it consisted of my father and what we had were branch managers. And the branch managers oversaw the operations of those offices. And we're, we're located in the upper Midwest. We've got headquarters in Minneapolis and other offices up here. So I just kind of sat back and I observed. And throughout the years, took a lot in, participated a little bit, gained a lot of other experience through regional associations and boards and a lot of self-learning too, kind of a yeah. self-help junkie, if you will. So right. I read on productivity and leadership and stuff that didn't even really apply at the time. And in the last couple of years, I'll kind of fast forward 
have assumed the role of the presidency here, and a lot of that that, that experience and the reading really helped. It didn't didn't mean that I stepped in having all of this experience. By gosh, I'm still learning today how yeah continue to make tons of mistakes. But I want to chase that thought on self help junkie for a minute uh, in a few minutes. But I want to go back to that time period when you were a salesperson. I want to know how that colors your experience today as you're talking to other salespeople. It's so helpful that you were in the trenches that you had proven success. But what did you learn in those days as a salesperson that helped you guide salespeople now? Let me uh, clarify too. You're now a thirty-five million dollar company. Is that right? With 50 salespeople? Yeah, we have uh, 50 salespeople. We will be, you know, high 30s by the end of this year and and should be, if everything continues to go well, uh, low 40s next year. But yeah, that experience really was invaluable being in the trenches. I understand the lumps, the heartache, the persistence, the discipline that it takes to become successful. In some cases, that works really well to kind of have those coaching conversations with people to say, look, I've been there. I understand. Hang in there. Here's some helpful tips. But on the other hand, I think that it helps me or maybe I build escape hatches for people too quickly because I know how hard it's been and can let them can. And this doesn't sound really well when I say it, but if they're struggling, it's, it's easy for me to say, yeah, I get that you know, just hang in there instead of maybe pushing them a little bit harder in ways that I know that they can benefit from. So again, another area of leadership that I'm kind of working on. When you were selling back then, now QRG utilizes technology to cut complexity, streamline processes. That's how you gain your market share. It's your unique value proposition is how Mm -hmm. you basically manage materials for companies. And I'm sure, as you've said to me before in a previous call, there are thousands of ways to make money in the business. So there are folks that are really nailing down your UVP and the QRG's UVP, and then there are folks that are just selling. But when you were selling, was the unique value proposition that clear? It has been. Of course, we continue to refine it and it's become more clear lately. We started off as a traditional business forums company, not even in promotional products. Right. But we brought to the marketplace you know, that complete approach, if you will. So we were offering company stores when it wasn't even really called company stores. We were right. offering forms management programs where we'd warehouse and we would do the fulfillment, we'd do the distribution, we'd do the, the management of all those pieces. It was an easy way to kind of transition into promotional products. But when we brought on promotional products, we, we began to invest more heavily into technology and the tools that we bring to our customers. As we've been working on a series called The Path to 10 Million, and something we keep centering around is the type of personality that can really grow and increase their sales. I'm not so sure that this is the right word for it, but we keep centering around the word curious for someone who seems to become successful in this business. They seem to have a voracious curiosity. So to chase this idea on being a self-help junkie, some of the most respected heroes in the business world were largely autodidactic learners, right? They were self-taught learners, famously Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, all college dropouts, but were were very self-taught. And I think most people get how important self-improvement is, but you're running a large business. You have a family and other commitments. Many might object and say they really have no time. How do you squeeze in time for learning? (laughs) Now, that's a great question. You have to make time. 
At least I believe that you have to make time. I take what others have called a clarity break and I schedule time to take that where I'm removing myself basically from everything so I can read articles I've curated through the week, kind of saved and put in a different folder so I can stay up to date on different trends, whether they be technology trends or productivity trends or engagement, you know, employee recognition, leadership, all of those things, you know, they all come together to create kind of this bigger piece, which is called leadership. And so um, I find that that is critically important. Of course, other things have to go away. Before you go any further on that clarity break, is this a weekly practice? It's a ritual that you stick by and you literally are either printing off or saving through the web articles that you want to read through the week and it's ritualistic. It is. It is. I schedule every week. Try really hard to keep that that appointment. It's on your calendar? It's on my calendar. It's every, it's every Friday from one to four. Wow. You know, sometimes I run right over it to be candid with you. You know, the other priorities sure. come up or vacation or whatever it is. But if I run over it, you know, I'll try and I'll try and pick up an article before I go to bed at night or whatever it is. Yeah, to, but the odds are high that if you put it on your calendar 52 times a year, the odds are high that you're at least going to hit half of them. Would you say that's probably the case? Yeah, not so much in the summer, but uh, yeah, dur- during <laughs> uh, fall, fall, winter and spring, yeah. Definitely. What I love about that is I I think rituals are so, we don't talk about rituals because it sounds like an old arcane term, but they're so important for our well-being and our mental well-being and our learning. And what you just did is you, you know, there's some folks that say learning is important for me. Self-improvement is important. But just like you would carve out time to go to the gym, you're carving out time for mental well-being and self-improvement. And I think that's huge. I think it's I think it would do a lot, particularly for today's world where we're always on and everything is just moving at such a rapid pace. Mm-hmm. So what are your favorite self-development tools? What's in your sort of learning arsenal? Are these podcast books? Or is it mostly magazine articles, newspapers, audiobooks, conferences? I mean, what would you consider your learning arsenal? Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm calling them you know, magazine articles, but they're curated pieces that come out of an app called Flipboard. You're able to go in and kind of highlight areas of interest. And the more that you read it, the more things that you click, the smarter it becomes in, in kind of relaying articles back to you that are of interest. And so I use that as, as my kind of my primary driver. I'm also involved in a, in a peer group called Vistage. And Vistage gives me a lot of great tools on uh, management and leadership. And then the last thing, the simple one of the simplest things I do that kind of set my mind right in the morning is I've got this little book on my desk. It's from John C. Maxwell. It's called the Maxwell Daily Reader. And there's a, every page is a day in the calendar. It's a single page I read it. It's uh, you know a variety of things again based on leadership and productivity and um, really just kind of developing the best you, le- developing the best leader within you, and uh, it's really odd that you know I've read this book probably two and a half times now, and every time I read the page, it either resonates with me for that day, or it appears different. The next time around, just because of what's going on in your life or what's going on in business, yeah. and you're able to apply it in different ways. So it's kind of a nice way just to kind of set the tone for the day. You know, that's another ritual. Uh, yep. You know, there's something about the muscle memory of rituals and it's opening our minds up to be prepared to learn something. And I, I think there's something really powerful with that kind of habit. Can we back mm-hmm. up a little bit? What is Vistage? Vistage is a professional 
peer-to-peer group for CEOs and presidents. And knowing that I don't have this whole thing figured out, it's a great little forum. We've got 16 other CEOs and presidents locally, different industries, different size companies. But we come together once a month as a group, and we usually have a a professional speaker or we spend the day kind of processing issues amongst ourselves. We find that getting together, processing issues, talking about different facets of business help us become better leaders, better decision makers Mm. within our business. It's a great sounding board, if you will. I was about to ask if you had a board of advisors, and that seems to be your board of advisors, I guess. It does, yep. If I were to map your learning arsenal, if you will, you have this weekly clarity break, you have these daily readings that you do, and then you have the peer group. In a sense, you've surrounded yourself with best practices to keep yourself sharp and mentally. I try. I need a lot of help, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Well, what I love about it too, I love I love that you connect. I know the peer groups are, are critical. A lot of folks in our audience are salespeople. There are a lot of independent thinkers. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of folks that are on the run all the time. And yet your some of your greatest relationships and experiences will come out of those peer groups where you learn and where, the, where you allow community to grow and nurture your mind. What advice do you have for someone who kind of feels stuck? You know, they're may, maybe they're not motivated to learn. Maybe worse, they really are in a season where they feel they're on a treadmill all the time. And they know they need to improve and they know they need to work on self-improvement. It's a lot, probably a lot like exercise. And that we know a lot of these things. What I'm picking up from you are these little rituals and practices that you can implement that become more tolerable and when they're taken in bite-sized pieces, I guess. But let me let you answer that question. So what, what's your advice for someone who kind of feels stuck? I think the key really is bite-sized chunks. We are yeah. stretched in so many different directions, all of us, every single day. And it's hard to carve out big chunks of time, even though I really do try and do that. But to have, yeah. even if it's right before bed, you know, if you had a tool like Flipboard or some other type of curating tool to pull up an article and just go in with the mindset that I'm not here just to read this, but I really is am here to improve myself, to improve my business. How can I drive more value to our employees or to my clients, for example? It doesn't necessarily have to be on the same topics that I'm engaged in, but, you know, what is your biggest goal? And uh, really just try and find a a forum to be able to do that. There might be some folks listening to this that think, okay, son of boss gets into the company, proves himself. I get that. But you know what? Kind of still has a silver spoon and his life was probably not that difficult, but I know you and I know what you're going through in terms of your family. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? Are you comfortable talking about that? Yeah, absolutely. One of your sons is in, in critical care. I don't know if, I'm, if that's the right phrase for it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's close. I mean, so we've got three kids. Savannah's 11, Jager's eight, and Jack's is six. Jager was born with a very rare genetic condition. And ultimately, I mean, the, the, the quick version of it is he needs around-the-clock nursing home level care. So he's, he's not able to walk, he's not able to talk, he's not able to feed himself, he's got epilepsy, he's got, you know, AFOs and scoliosis and vomits, 50 times a day, and that's not an exaggeration. So he does have, you know, quite a lot of stuff really kind of working against him, but he's got a lot of great stuff working for him. I think there are a lot of folks that might think they're too busy for self-improvement, for taking time for themselves. But you and I have similar backgrounds in that regard, because sure. you know my story yep. with, with my kids. And so we both know that those seasons that can come crashing in on you, they can completely 
knock you off kilter. But what's the hardest thing to understand about those seasons, this is so hard and I think you have to fight for it. You have to fight for your own personal well-being and sanity during those times so that you can be there for the people around you. And I think that's the point I'm trying to get at is that there may be seasons where you're sort of knocked off kilter, where you don't have the emotional energy to invest nor the physical energy to invest in yourself. But it's so important. And I'm curious if that's been your experience. It has. And I think that life just has a way of surprising all of us. Right. And so it's rare. It's rarely a straight line. And I and when I was young, I had. But I thought I kind of had everything charted out, you know, by this age, I was going to do this and yeah. I was going to have this by that and I was going to be married and, right. you know, we're going to be making this income and we're going to move here. And, and it was all kind of very materialistic at the time, just kind of thinking, yeah. okay, here's where life is going to, to, to bring me if I work hard and I accomplish these goals. Um, yeah. But what we find is that life is not a straight line and it does deal us a lot of challenges. And the older I get, the more respectful I am of, you know, how important health and family and all of those pieces are. And so, yes, I mean, I've had a lot of advantages in my life to be able to work to my advantage, I guess. Um, But it, there are those blows that, that happen and they will derail you. Your energy levels will fluctuate throughout all of those and your focus is going to change. Yeah. I've, I've learned that it's impossible to give focus to all areas at once. And so during times like that where you know, we, we had this big deal and, and for us with our son, it was, it was a, a rare genetic abnormality. And they could not define it at the time. We went through four years of chasing a diagnosis for him. And mm-hmm. through those four years, we were told that, you know, they, they misdiagnosed him two times. And both times they told us that his diagnosis was fatal within, you know, one within a year and the other one that he wouldn't live to, 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 to see age eight. And so during that time, you, your world does come crashing down, right? And everybody's got these struggles. Yeah. And I'm not trying to paint a picture that... My my story's a sob story. It's not. It's really actually it's a great story, and I'm I'm proud of our history, yeah. and I'm proud of what that those lessons have brought to us. You right. know that there there are folks like yourself and others that have have endured far far worse. Um, but what those lessons teach us is okay. Where do you focus your energy? At the time for me, it was focused on how do we kind of mentally weather the storm. How do we yeah. find the you know, what we thought we we're going to hopefully find for him was a cure. We're, we're, it doesn't sound like we're ever going to find that. But, you know, if you're not going to be able to do that, okay, how do you keep yourself mentally sharp yeah. and healthy? And so I've, you know, right. kind of divert right now for me, it's, it's, it's productivity, it's leadership, it's, it's employee engagement, it's, you know, all of these things yeah. about innovation and technology. But back then it was more about how do I make sure that, my mind's in check. My wife is in check. You know that we're that we're, yeah. we're growing spiritually, right. and then you know. And it's not to say that. Sorry, I'm kind of bouncing on here, Bobby. But you slowly start to integrate other pieces back into your life, and then something else will happen. Yeah. And you know, it might be instead of your son, and once your son is kind of taken care of, okay, maybe the daughter needs a little help propping up. Okay, now maybe it's a it's a an employee that's right. having some troubles, and all of these things. I think that. It's important yeah. to make sure that you're being selfish to some extent, that you are giving yourself the tools to cope, to grow, yeah. 
to become a better person, to weather those things and yeah. out on the other side with a better, more positive outlook than you had before going into it. I think this fits right into our self-improvement conversation and constantly making sure that we are making time for ourselves, creating space for ourselves. And like you said, you will get derailed. You will get knocked off kilter, but getting right back on and, and getting into, you know, enjoying life. I also have a quote. I don't know if this is going to fit, mm-hmm. but there's a quote by, by Wendell Berry. He said, he said, the conflicts of life and work, like those of rest and work, would ideally be resolved in balance, enough of each. In practice, however, they probably can be resolved, if that's the word, only in tension and a principled unwillingness to let go of either or to sacrifice either to either to the other. But it's a necessary tension. The grief is both inescapable and necessary. One would like, one longs, in fact, to be a perfect family man and a perfect workman, and one sugars from the inevitable conflict. But whatever one does, one is not going to be perfect at either, and it is better to suffer the imperfection of both than to gamble the total failure of one against an illusory hope of perfection in the other. And then he said the real values of art and life are perhaps best defined and felt in the tension between them. And I would go as far as to say the real values of commerce and life are probably best defined and felt in the tensions between them. Wow. Great quote. I was nervous about talking, asking about Jaeger. I wasn't sure if you really wanted to talk about or even air that. I, the reason why I, I ventured that way is because, you know, one time I did a little straw poll in our company and 30% of our employees could be going through a life crisis at any time. They could be going through divorce. They could be going through losing a loved one. They could be going through uh, a loved one that's very sick and in the hospital. And that's why I, I actually brought up that question, Todd, is just sort of encourage maybe folks who are really having a difficult yeah, time. No, I'm, I love talking about him. And you're absolutely right. There's a, I'm trying to remember his name. I think it's Mark Donahoe from former CEO of eBay. And I could have that wrong, but I watched a, a TED type talk or Stanford business um, video of him. And he talks about that People often classify, you know, work life and you've got your home life and people talk about work-life balance. He says, there is no work-life balance. It's just life, right? <laughs> they bleed right. into each other consistently. Right. And it's at times they're just they're inextricably linked. And so yeah. as we go through these troubles, it's it's okay. I mean, we're we're all human. We're all we all kind of ride this roller coaster. Um, it's important that we have yeah. support systems, that we have bosses, that we have coworkers, uh, even even our clients yeah. to some extent that uh, they kind of understand and are willing to kind of go through that journey with you. You know, and I used to think this was such a hippie phrase, but you really do have to have self-compassion about those things too. You have mm-hmm. to know that is life. The very things that can derail you. Todd, let's shift the gears a little bit. You are running for the PPAI board. What inspired you to run for a board position? So the way the process works, Bobby, is that there's a there's a council. It's called the Leadership Advisory Council, and they go out and they seek potential candidates for the board. Uh, years ago, I I checked a box on one of my volunteer forms because I've been active at the the national level in the past. That uh, that. I eventually would be interested in running for the board. I've been approached a couple of times in the past, and the timing never really felt just right. Uh, some of that was where I was at with my family life. Some of it was where I was at professionally. Uh, some of it was also at where I was at with other volunteer positions. I was approached again this year, and things just kind of felt right. And I've, I feel that we're on a really good course at quality resource group. Family is settling into a really nice rhythm there. Uh, I feel that I've got a gr- some great experience through my regional 
uh, board positions uh, through QRG, through the things I've gained in my kind of self-learning journey, also through Vistage. And I just felt really kind of like this was a good fit for me. What really kind of drove me to say yes and to go even further in that process is to think about where we're at as an industry right now. And no doubt the industry has always faced tough times, right? And uh, maybe it's just me being more aware of where we're at and kind of the issues that we're facing. It just it feels like there's just a lot of stuff going on, whether it be yeah. political agendas or product responsibility, shifting demographics from boomers to millennials, uh, threatening technologies you know, or innovative or disruptive technologies, uh, anything from increased pressures on on profits and and changing models and different resources required to to run a successful company it could be external threats. I mean, all these things are I'm reading a lot about, thinking a lot about, yeah. and it's hard for me to kind of sit idly by. So I'm feeling kind of anxious about all of these things, and I feel that I've got some again great experiences kind of coming into it, and selfishly yeah. i mean this is the, the selfish motive i every time i volunteered i get as much or more out of it than i put into it and yeah. i know that this would be right. no different in fact i feel like i've got a lot to give but being part of this group of some really great minds and all of the really cool strategic things that PPAI is doing. I believe that I can add to it, but I can also learn from those things and bring that back to our region, back to my company and back to the industry. So those were the primary drivers yeah. for me. Do you feel like the traditional supplier distributor client model is fragile or do you think it's robust? It's both. How's that for an ambiguous answer? Um, <laughs> <That's good. laughs> it's. I, I think the relationship there is really good, but I think that we need to continue to nurture that relationship. I mean, let's yeah. face it. I think that technology is kind of blurring the lines between what what the traditional end buyer is seeing and how they're how yeah. they're procuring it. So it's imperative for all of us, whether you're supplier, distributor, large, small that we're driving value to our customers. And if we're not driving value, we become transactional, we become commoditized. And that, if we're not yeah. careful, puts the entire thing at risk. And so right now, Absolutely. I think that it's healthy, but we have to nourish it and we have to be vigilant to make sure that it stays healthy. Can you speak to how, the, how QRG has shifted from a commodity type item to a value add? Because at one time, when you're just a forms broker, you're just a forms broker, or maybe you were printing at the time, mm -hmm. yep. but you've evolved the business into a value add. Can you talk a little bit about your value add? And because the reason why I'm asking it too, is I, I do think that is if you had to list the three top positions, everybody has their issue, right? Like what is the most important issues in the industry? And we have product safety and you have all these others. Yep. Uh, I, I think the, the value add is the critical component for the distributor's future. And I don't think that's arguable anymore. How have you evolved QRG's value add and what is your value add to your customer? Right. So we talked about that a little bit earlier. Is that, you know, I think our model is, is somewhat similar, but also different than our competitors. We focus on, here's a term you'll understand, maybe not everybody does, our marketing asset management programs. And so it's more right. than just the traditional company store. It's really how do you procure, how do you manage, how do you bring value to the, the, the clients? And I think that we do that in three different ways. 
we have three uniques. The first one is really a kind of a unique sourcing capability that a lot of our competitors don't. And so someone could argue, yeah, okay, so you do print and you do promotional products, but it's really how do you source all of those pieces? How do you combine them together? How do you offer that complete package to a customer? So they're not having to go to multiple vendors to find those things. The next thing that we offer is really a robust e-commerce package. And we invested heavily into that years ago. We continue to invest heavily into it. And we look at ways that we can innovate upon that platform so that it's not just stagnant. It's not just another Me Too offering out there in the marketplace. And then the third thing that we've invested heavily into is our infrastructure. In our facilities, we have, uh, again, really robust fulfillment and distribution capabilities. All of those pieces come together and work through automation efficiencies so that there are fewer touches, less less stress, less fewer touch points, so that it's more, I'll just say, encompassing enterprise-wide type of solution for our customers, That and that's how we're bringing value to them. This transition had to be somewhat gradual when you move from just being a broker to suddenly being this marketing value asset management company, which I know to a lot of people sounds like a big phrase. It's not that it's yep. hard. It's just that it's actually a complex model to communicate to the prospects and buyers, um, which a lot of that has to do with strategic targeting is, is I think, where the key to that is. But how did you evolve to that? Did, did a client lead you? Did you have clients that led you to that? Did they, and they said hey, we would like this, and you just kept saying yes? Because one of the things I'm trying to sort of fish out of folks as we talk about UVP is how people found their way to evolve into the right model because you have multiple models in the industry that you could craft your business after. And to me, that one's a very unique one. How did you evolve the model? It, actually, the model was was largely there to begin with as a forms distributor. So it was what we called our forms management program, basic term. Um, It was not as sophisticated back then. We did operate the management of those programs through our ERP system. But rather than having it all inventoried here, we believe it or not, we do a lot of inventory at the client's location. We'd go out once a month. We'd take physical inventories Bring that right. back. We do another physical inventory for the stuff that we have here, input all that system, produce dot matrix reports back out that we would mail to the customer and say, okay, here's your wow. here's your forms management program. But we knew that that, you know, that process or that technology yeah. that we were using at the time wouldn't be sufficient for the long run. So we we invested heavily into technology to make that next leap. And I'll be honest with you, we did that and we were, we felt kind of like we're light years ahead of the competition at the time. My fear is that with the advancements of technology and how robust things are becoming, that the difference is becoming less these days. So it's upon me once again, not once again, it's upon me this time to say, okay, what is the next iteration of that? What, does the future of mm. our business of the yeah. industry look like to make sure that we're innovating in a way that is one step ahead or that's really yeah. again driving that next level of experience or next level of value for the customers what percentage of your sales is print these days versus promotional and do you parse forms versus commercial what does all that split look yeah, like yeah great question so we're currently at 45% print 55% promotional. 
we we just uh, joined forces with another company who does a lot more print. So I expect that will become more like 50-50 next year. And as far as segments of print, I do have those numbers. I don't have them in front of me, so I I can't tell you exactly what what that split is. The other interesting aspect, too, is when you have 50 salespeople, is it difficult to train and get everyone on board with your unique value proposition? I mean, when you can essentially sell anything you want, that's part of the difficulty in a large organization is fragmenting the message. Absolutely. Really difficult. In fact, we we talk about one of our greatest strengths is our flexibility, but it's also one of our greatest weaknesses. So it makes it hard because we, with 50 different people, we have people at varying levels and their varying stages in their careers. We have some people that are brand new to the industry and we're doing our best to train them. We have people that are at the tail end of their career, but everyone also, they, they bring their own experiences, their, their own skill sets, and their own focus to what they want to sell. So somebody may have come from the hospitality industry and they know that industry really well. They're going to focus on hotels and, uh, and transportation right. companies and, and really focus on that market. Whereas somebody else may come from medical and they understand how to sell to hospitals or maybe it's a or financial institutions. So it's it's hard for us to kind of corral all of these different skill sets and say, okay, here's one common vision and everybody march to that common vision. You not only have the uh, fragmentation of disciplines, but you have the fragmentation of verticals too with their different needs is what you're right. saying. And that's really tough. Are there any other issues that sort of keep Todd Potabum up at night when it comes to QRG in your future? At the heart of it, it's people. You know, I want to make sure that this is a really great place for people to come and spend their days. So I I want I want people to feel that they've got an enriched career, that they've got opportunities, that they're valued. You know, all of the other things really do take a lot of energy, a lot of focus. You know, where are we going to go? Innovation and um are we are we selling enough? Are we innovating properly or but at the heart of it we really need to make sure that we're taking care of people. That tends to be the final thought, you know, whether it's the yeah. end of my Fridays as I'm thinking about, you know, planning and strategy or or before I go to bed or that's the biggest piece. How many years have you been in the business now? Oh, 17. Do you still find this business fulfilling? I do. I do. It's it's challenging positively most of the time. Every day offers a new opportunity. Sometimes it's with business, sometimes it's it's uh, with my own my own development. Sometimes it's with developing other people and coaching. It's really kind of fun to think about what the future holds, and so that is exciting, scary at times. But yeah, I, I I get a kick from it. Absolutely, you're sitting across from a young professional in the business. They're starting their career. What is some of your advice? And I'm sure you do this with uh, salespeople that start for you. Are there keys? Are there a couple of really significant keys or handles that you can hold to to open the door to success in this business? There are thousands of ways to be successful in this business. It is a multi-year journey to become successful. We've all seen, you know, success is not a destination. It's a journey. And all of that is true. And there there are a hundred other things that we could say, but it's it's really about being accountable to yourself, being disciplined enough to do the things that you don't want to do 
on a regular basis to become the person you want to be. And that's hard to do. Just like you said, it's, it's carving out time to do things amongst all these other distractions. But the ones that are kind of the ickiest that you don't want to do are the ones that will bring you the most reward if you're, if you're true to them. And so it's, it's not easy, but it can be a really fulfilling and really lucrative industry and position if you put the effort in. What I love about that answer is that you're telling young professionals, and this is, this is so true, that it's a long game and you should plan accordingly. So that, and I was just talking to a distributor two weeks ago who was saying, you know what, I'm going to give this business two years and I'm out. Two years is practically when you're just getting started. So that advice is so sound. And then also it's counterintuitive for us to to do the things we don't like to do. It's just so counter to our natural tendencies, but it's such a key to mm-hmm. success. Bobby, this is really an honor for you to kind of consider me as a podcast worthy guest. And so I'm, I'm I'm honored. Thank you. You already know how I feel about you. I mean, this to me, this is this is um, this was a no-brainer. So glad to have you on the program. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Skewcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to Skewcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.